<laughs> Why did I have to say it again? <laughs> Are you testing something? Uh, always testing something. <laughs> me. You're always testing me. <laughs> Just kidding. That's bubbly, folks. <laughs> That's right. We're... The episode hasn't started yet. Oh, I know. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Life is Sweet pod. I'm Jill. I'm Jonathan. And we're here to chat. <laughs> I'm Jonathan. <laughs> Hello. Life is sweet. I love it. <laughs> you don't have to sound chipper, but you should sound like I'm not forcing you to do this. <laughs> I'm not trying to. I like it just like this, like natural. I am natural. <laughs> God. Okay, okay, we can do this. All I have right. one thing to do. Okay. Hi, and welcome to the Life is Sweet pod. I'm Jill. Hi, I'm Jonathan. And we're here to talk about what we're watching, reading, doing, and listening to. Welcome here. Welcome here. Uh, so to start off with, we're going to talk a little bit about some movies we've been watching. Um, I subscribe to the Criterion channel. Uh, I finally gave in over the course of the pandemic last, I think it was August, I finally uh, gave in and subscribed. Uh, and it's actually been pretty good. Um, but recently we've started watching some Mike Lee movies. Mike Lee. Yeah. Um, Mostly due to the fact that Criterion has been pushing it through their social media, and that's kind of what got me into it, and I suggested we watch High Hopes earlier this week. What's that? It's Cactus, isn't it? Oh, guess what his name is? Dunno. Thatcher. Because he's a pain in the arse, prongs you every time you walk past it. That bit's Dennis. What did you think, John? I liked it. What did you like about it? Good question. Um, I liked that the uh, couple in the movie ha seemed to be enjoy each other and have a lot of fun. <laughs> I feel like we really connected to um, High Hopes on a aesthetic and personal level. Um, it's a movie about two uh, mid-30s-somethings in the 80s, kind of on the tail end of Ta Thatcher's uh, decimating um, England. And uh, they're both working class. The guy is a courier, um, and Cyril, his name is, right? Yes. And Shirley, his yes. partner, his girlfriend, is um, seems to work for the city of London. Um, There's a shot trees. of her planting a tree. Yeah, she, she's planting a tree. She's trimming trees. She's burning trees. Um, she has a fantastic collection of overalls. Cactuses. And cactuses, yes, she's got a fantastic collection cacti. of cacti, um, different plants all over their little apartment. Uh, Each of the cactuses has some sort of uh, prickly name. Yes, they all have <laughs> prickly names. Some of the names are naughty. It's very fun. Um, she's uh, at various parts of the movie distracted by plants. I felt a strong connection uh, to her. She's She also kind of... Um, like me, has an aggressively Anglo face. Uh, 
sure. A Shelley Duvall look. Yeah. Yeah. We shared that. Uh, but anyways, it's this couple. They're, they're very kind. You come by it honestly. I know. But anyways, they're, they're living in their comfortable apartment and the movie is just sort of um, them interacting with family members, with strangers. Their first interaction is a uh, bumbling young man who doesn't know exactly where he's supposed to be going. Um, they take like him... all young men. <laughs> they take him in, in and uh, give him. It a... was the same in the eighties as it is now. They give him a spot for the night. Wayne. Uh, Wayne. His name is Wayne. His name is Wayne, yes. Um, he sort of just keeps bouncing back to them. He really can't figure out where he's supposed he to be going. He wants to go home. Well, he's trying to find his sister. He's trying to find his sister. He's been sent to the city to stop being a nuisance to his mother. <laughs> uh, his mom only gave him the name of the building. Yes. <laughs> and so... Ripped on a piece of paper. They keep trying to launch him off, and eventually they do successfully send him on a bus back home. Um... And then uh, there's also um, the interactions with Cyril's sister, who is a very materialistic, unhinged uh, character. Um, Social climber. Yeah. Yuppies, you, they call them yuppies. Very, like, nouveau riche. She's married to a used car salesman. They have a detached house in, in the suburbs of London, rather than living in the middle of the city. Uh, Cyril and Shirley live right next to King's Cross Station, They've got a little flat there. Um, and then there's Cyril's mother, who is sort of like the leftover council tenant in a row of houses that have it's been... being gentrified. Yeah, they've been bought the by... They've been bought by gentrifiers. They've been... Um, the public housing has been privatized under Thatcher, and they live next to a garish... Um, I guess we would probably think of them as, like, hipster. Um, I don't even know if that's still the term you would use. Hipster, uh, bougie. Yeah, petite uh, bourgeois. White people. Sort of, yeah. Uh, PMC, though some people don't like that term. Yeah. Sort you, of, know the, you know the type. How about getting outside with a brush, giving the front of your house a lick of paint, smarten it up a little bit, eh? Yeah. And your garden is a great deal to be desired. You could have enormous fun out there. You have green fingers. Yeah, and they've they've bought this little flat. Um, they have pretensions to high culture. So they they've they've bought this house. Um, but Cyril's mother, who is uh, seems to be slipping a little bit into dementia, um, she's forgotten her keys and can't get into her flat. And she's the last one left. Yeah, she's she's the last council tenant here. Um and she has to ask this couple for help. Um and they are not very interested in being neighborly. Uh one of the scenes I really liked um and I think we both like started laughing or whatever in recognition so much we had to pause the movie um is when the two characters go to Highgate Cemetery. Do you remember that part? Yes, we went there. Yeah, so a couple years ago we went on a trip to London and we went to Highgate Cemetery, which is where Karl Marx is famously buried. Um, there's also a lot of other socialists, Marxists, um, and it's a just a beautiful place to walk around, too. Shirley was like, 
Hey, it's the leader of the South African Communist Party. <laughs> yeah, she already wandered off, which was, again, once we, like, That's restarted. That's what we did. Yeah, when, uh, that was a very you and me scene where Cyril, uh, sort of parked himself in front of the Karl Marx bust and was very philosophical, having some thoughts, staying there, taking it in, and Shirley kind of, like, wanders off and is like, hey, look, there's this guy. Hey, these plants need to be trimmed. He's a bit big, isn't he? He was a giant. No, I mean he's head. He's all right. What he'd done was he wrote down the truth. People was being exploited. Industrial revolution, they was forced off the land into the factories. There weren't no working class for them. He set down a program for change. He's got his whole family in there with him. Without Marx, there wouldn't have been nothing. Oh, look, his grandson was only four when he died. Your kids died young in them days. I oh, know. Wouldn't have been no unions, no welfare state, no nationalised industries. I wish I'd bought some flowers now. It don't matter, does it? Flowers. What do you mean it don't matter? He's dead. And that is very much you and me, um in any sort of, like, looking at things situation. So Shirley wanders off, and then Cyril's there, like, left being, uh, like, contemplating the uh, bust of his his god, <laughs> Carl. And then, like, the, uh, the, uh, the Asian tourist group comes in and just, like, surrounds him. Yeah. <laughs> with their, with, uh, and they're taking pictures and uh, buzzing about and talking and... Uh, ruining the uh, reverential mood, which is awesome, which is what I'm, sh which is what happens when you go to visit uh, your gods. I think Carl would uh, probably approve of that. Actually, I approved of it. <laughs> yeah, that was a great scene. Um, I think um, any sort of the the scenes where Shirley and Cyril were interacting um, were probably my favorites. Um, but of course the the scenes where there's like the the class clash um, were definitely some of the most like uh, great parts of the movie, but parts where I was like, oh my god, I'm cringing inside. Lots of cringe. Yeah. We live in the age of cringe, and this telegraph like prophesized it. Yeah. It's, Nobody this movie was is from having. 1988, I think. Um, it's probably like a stylistic choice by Mike Lee, but like. To deliberately, um, everyone everyone in the movie who wasn't Cyril and Shirley was just a caricature. Like, they, Cyril yeah. and Shirley were the only ones allowed to be humans. Which, uh, I think some people would say is, like, a bit, like, hammy, ham, or, uh, hackneyed. But, you know, that's how it is in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely, you had the sense that this was... <laughs> if you're gonna sell your soul, you're not gonna be a human anymore. <laughs> You're gonna act weird, and other people can tell that you're weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's actually a good point too. Yeah. You're gonna be a cartoon. Well, and they 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 you're definitely gonna... that sense that they're the two authentic people, um, even though they're they uh, you know they have their things that they're worried about. Cyril's very focused on the world being needing to be perfect uh, before they can have kids. Yeah, because Shirley wants to have a kid, and Cyril is like, 
the, the world's all screwed up and my family's all screwed up and I don't want to have a kid and bring a kid into this mess, which I'm sure a lot of people, I assume a lot of people think think that or I don't actually, think about it at this, all. That reminded me very much of uh, my mom telling me about how her and my dad decided to start having kids. Uh, my dad was very much of the opinion, like, ah, oh, it's everything's messed up. Can't bring kids into this world. He was against it for a long time, and my mom just sort of wore him down, wore him down, wore him down, and eventually he was like, fine. It's and very... he took her birth control and like flung it out of the window in their Toronto apartment, and he's like, all right, we'll <laughs> do it. It's time. And then five years later, I happened. So they didn't get down to it right away. Well, they did, but it just took a while to, you know, it took achieve a bit to, this. To take. Yeah. Like, that's one of the, like, the central points on which the plot hinges is, like, do we have a kid or not? Yeah. We are poor. Um, nothing, the world around us is just getting worse and worse. People are going crazy yeah. <laughs> all around us. Um, like, it's irres- It's is it irresponsible to knowingly bring new life in to suffer. Yeah. But, um, no, it isn't irresponsible. I mean, ultimately, do we do spoilers here? Well, you have to find out what decision they make when you watch the movie. It's not even really clear, like, they they kind of make a decision, but it's it's not, like, explicit. But I guess, like, the point is, like, if you decide... If you decide that this is all so horrible that... Uh, no other that you can't be personally responsible for bringing for bringing a, a sentient being into the world then that's nihilism yeah you guys will just pack it all up anyway why are you even alive you don't even think you should be here yeah and and um that's definitely the the message you're left with um And the movie ends on the rooftop, there's a little garden that surely tends to, a little bit of life in the middle of the city right next to King's Cross. Um, They realize that uh, Cyril's mother is going to require some care, um, that they may need to be the ones who are going to do it, Um, and it's left on that sort of caretaking, maintenance, looking looking after people sort of message. Well, the idea that, <clears throat> well, I don't know, you could politicize it and say, we have to, like, band together and do mutual aid, blah, blah, blah. Like, n- okay, but, like, that's just, yeah, we need to take care of ourselves. Ourselves and our families, and that's what makes you human, is to live in a human way, despite what's happening around you, despite your context. Some people, like the other people in the movie, had given up living in a in a dignified way, in a hu- in a hu- in a humane way, they don't treat themselves humanely. Uh, they don't treat other people humanely. It's all a caricature of of humanity. There's no real love or warmth, or it's all a bit of a it's all a pantomime. Yeah, and I guess that's what you're. But there's a way of living, of being in the world that's um, that's. That's real. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can... And that's what you can do. Yeah. It's possible. You don't need anything to do it. True. Need some plants. Need some plants? I guess you need to 
you know, it's a lot easier to do when your bills are paid and Absolutely, you have yeah. a place to live. Yeah. And you have, like, nice people around you who you like and who like you in return and who can help you if you need it. You know, like, it's great. Like, just like the, just the act of realizing that my elderly mom, uh, is her memory's declining and she's gonna need some care so she can uh we're going to do that for her yeah yeah it's a nice way that the movie ends out um we watched two other mike lee movies so far there's a few more we haven't seen that are on criterion right now um two <laughs> fairly different movies um we watched uh life is sweet hello aubrey hello wendy what are you doing here Life is sweet, uh, family centered, uh, with Jim Broadbent, uh, who I love. Yeah, Jimmy. Uh, he looks actually, actually my, um, my granny's second husband was a retired English doctor who looked exactly like Jim Broadbent. Uh, I hadn't realized that there was Jim Broadbent before he was old. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's sort of in his, uh, I'd say early forties in this movie. He's yeah. meant to be, they have adult daughters, so it's a, uh, Wife he's and a husband. Big guy. Yeah, he's a tall <laughs> man. So wife and husband, um, they're living in sort of a side by side. Um, she's a dance instructor. He's a cook <laughs> who has an endless. He's a dance... She's a dance instructor. Yeah, the movie opens. She's teaching little kids how to dance. Right. Um, and uh, he's he's like a cook. He's a cook um, who has an endless uh, supply of. Uh, partially finished projects. Their house is in a sort of uh, state, mid-state of renovations. He's more like a kitchen manager. Yeah, he seems you to can be, tell like he's he not would have been cooking. trained as a cook. Like he wanted to be a cook. Yeah, and he probably wanted was aspiring to being a creative professional chef or something. Yeah, and this he was like the kitchen manager of a commissary. A cafeteria or yeah something, something like, like that. that and um but they've got two they've got twin girls two very different twins one is a very sort of sensible uh plumber saving up for a trip very practical yeah very practical um and the other one is clearly going going through it capitalist going through some going through some stuff are we do we say stuff or well she's she's dealing with an I eating mean, disorder i mean like what's our she's... what's our family really do we say swears on this no we don't say swears on this podcast okay stuff yeah so she's going through some stuff uh she has an eating disorder that she's not really dealing with uh that's not being dealt with it's not out in the open. Uh, she's belligerent to everyone, including her boyfriend. Um, just horrible. Yeah, just just very not kind to those around her. Um, and again, it's similar to, to High Hopes, where it's moving through um, this family, interacting with different characters that they find themselves around. Um, I didn't... It was a good movie. I it didn't hit as much as High Hopes did for me. Um, I think it was probably like technically better, a little bit bigger in scope. 
Yeah. Character is like a little bit more well-rounded, but yeah. still kind of caricature-ish. Like, Especially the more periphery characters, like the... Yeah. Um, like the, the pesky, uh, their pesky friend. Yeah, with the schemes. The, uh, yeah, the schemey friend who sells them a snack trailer. Yeah. <laughs> a giant fix-it project. Just, uh... <laughs> yeah, just a horrible rundown. Of course his wife sees this coming a mile away. Yeah. But, like, lets him do it, because <laughs> uh, it's less of a bother yeah. if he has his uh, his fix-it-up snack shack. But also, like, their pesky uh, restaurant entrepreneur yeah. friend. He's opening the worst restaurant I've maybe ever <laughs> he wants to heard open the of worst or The seen. worst restaurant, yeah. yeah. The worst restaurant in history. Yes. Uh, doesn't realize it. Yeah. Thinks it's awesome. But again, they know it's gonna suck but they don't tell him they let yeah. him just go they they humor, <laughs> they humor him this really the story the movie is about the husband and wife what are their names oh broadbent no. and the other and his wife yeah his wife They're... plays um his wife plays the mother in pride and prejudice uh, uh this is her as, as a younger actress yeah and they're just humoring everyone around them because like they're they're the parents of everyone around them yeah this is their nest yeah they're the uh like they're the mommy and daddy duck yeah and these are all their like their ducklings the uh their pesty friends uh what's his name jeremy spall the restaurant guy timothy spall. timothy timothy spall. i don't know they're all british that that guy's yeah this is david thewlis's like one david of his Thulis. first movies he's the he's the boyfriend of uh the boyfriend of the, the uh, twin of the unpleasant twin the blue the uh yeah the boyfriend of the horrible twin who is like again who like humors her belligerence but also like cares for her and uh is uh wants the best for her yeah but he'll go along with whatever. It's like, yeah, you can be weird and belligerent. Yeah. But, but you can you you can you can take care of yourself though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just again another sort of theme of of taking care of each other, of um sort of making space for these people that have flaws, some small, some major. Uh, but sort of finding a way to support and be honest with them when it counts, I guess. Yeah, and like how and to and to love each other and to even the people who do have real problems, the problems are not seem to be uh, insurmountable. Like there, you can, um, yeah. Again, like things are gonna be weird and screwed up in the world but like there are ways to live like humanely within yeah. <laughs> within your circumstances which is not decidedly not the theme of the last mike lee movie that we oh, watched no. Uh, uh, no. which was naked it's a constant process of coming into being and passing away coming into being and passing away the future is now but the present does exist we're in it now. You were just done when you said it, but you're not in it now. You're not in it now. You're not in it now. That's the opposite. That's that the opposite side of the coin. The opposite, yes. So just it's pure... Very... <laughs> yeah, whatever. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> it's very... It, it, 
it had, um, similar to the way <laughs> that you do not need to see train spotting or requiem for a dream more than once in your life, you only need to see this or movie. Well, whatever. You don't need to see this movie. What have you. <laughs> um, this is definitely a movie you, you, if you're going to see it, you really only need to see once. I would say. There is a type of, like, movie pest that would love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you probably you might have encountered them, probably a him, uh, who <laughs> thinks this is just like the bee's knees. Maybe they're somewhere between the ages of 15 and 23. Um, but, like, you should not... Nobody should watch this movie. <laughs> uh... <It's> her- <laughs> From a technical standpoint... Not if you want to continue <laughs> it's having a good hope. movie. Um, it's pretty dark. Uh, David Thewlis uh, is fantastic in it. All the performances are amazing. Oh, just, yeah, amazing. top-notch. Just amazing. Yeah, especially when you know that the way that Mike Lee works is, is largely on improvisation and that his scripts are bare-bones. The actors sort of come in and really... Um, fill in most of the gaps in his movies. So these these actors are really coming in and um, fleshing out big parts of this movie. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know one uh, one chaotic man's journey uh, through chaos through yeah through chaos and through the through the <laughs> lives of people um, sort of just unsettling the lives of of those he comes across. Well, two two. Um, one chaotic man, one orderly violent man. Um, yes, disrupting the, chaotic, the lives of ordinary people and the women they come across. It's basically two men wreaking destruction in the lives of everyone that they encounter. Yeah, one is like one is a like working class poor person who's been just like thrown out of society. Basically, yeah. just been vomited out. Yeah. Uh, is just itinerant, um, deeply, uh, I don't know, deeply conflicted in loads of ways. Whatever, he's a, a street person. And the other guy, who is exactly the same as this person, who wreaks the amount, same amount of havoc and destruction in people's lives, is very respectable. And yeah. uh, successful, and someone that you would like uh, your daughter to marry if you didn't think about it too hard. <laughs> yeah, the movie, I think one of the, the bigger takeaways or things that you can get from this movie is the way that Mike Lee explores accountability between classes. Yeah. Um, where these characters are doing the same types of damage, um, but in the end, one gets the gets the heck beaten right out of him, and the other mm-hmm. one gets in his car and drives away. Yeah, exactly. Where one, in fact, like, one, the exact same behavior, if you're on the bottom end of society, just gets you nonstop abuse and yeah. pain and and circling, you're f- just further shoved down the drain in return for that, for that behavior. Be- um, but if you're on the top end... On the good side, the upper mobile, upwardly mobile side, you get rewarded for it. At you every, just, you just move on, and you, you're just untouched. Yeah, there's nothing that can even happen to you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'd probably say the the parts of this movie I liked the best were the interactions between the women. 
um, especially the, the two roommates um, in the movie Sophie and... I want to say I'm terrible. Not be... Sandra. Sandra's the third one. Sandra's yeah, the nurse. Yeah, the nurse. Is, uh, Sophie and... Is it Lauren? Maybe. The... Uh, I'm sorry, character, that I'm forgetting your name. I should have written it down. But the, the two roommates... The other you... uh, Mancurian. Yeah, she's also from Manchester, like the chaotic main character. They're old, old uh, exes from Manchester. Um, and her... Uh, roommate Sophie, but um, the the scenes where those two women are talking about the trauma and the ways that they've dealt with um, things that have happened to them in their lives, um, those were probably the parts of the movie that I I liked the best. Was those conversations between women that if that you can imagine yourself having with with another friend or or person that you've met. So, yeah, um, good movie in a... There's lots to dissect and digest and read into it, for sure. But uh, in terms of watching, um, probably wouldn't watch again. I don't think I've watched a movie that made me feel so, like, physically ill. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I was fine. <laughs> it, was extremely, it was extremely effective. <laughs> In, that in, com in communicating, and the thing is, I guess, like my thing too is like the what what made me feel like ill was like I'm recognizing all those people. Yeah, uh, you know these people. You've yes. encountered them. Um, like I've worked for twenty years in group homes. I know that character, that main character. Yeah. Um, I know that they are like how much like pain. <laughs> they've endured in their lives and how much like pain they inf they inflict on everyone around them yeah and like the, just the tr just the trauma involved i guess yeah that's probably why i felt ill yeah i i was fine um for whatever reason i don't know my soul had vacated my body for that space of time who's to say you but. don't have PTSD from working in a group home. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, let's move on to uh, Away from Mike Lee, who we will continue watching um, more of his movies, um, to some of the things that we've been reading lately. So I um, recently finished a biography of Janice. Yeah. Um, called Janice and Janice just Joplin. Gonna, yeah, Janice. There is only one Janice. The one and only Janice. Um, by Janice. A, yeah, a uh, new biography, um, by Holly George Warren. Um, I have read a biography of her before, and it was the one written by her, um, the woman who was working as sort of her assistant PR, um, person with the label, uh, at the time that she died. You can keep talking. I'm going to let the cat in. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the, the first book that I read, um, pieced together in the sort of the years after her death, um, largely, hello, Jean, uh, here's the cat, uh, largely pieced from, um, 
the author's sort of personal um, conversations with Janice and uh, people that she knew uh, in the record industry, uh, some some things from the family. The um, this new biography, though. Um, is sort of written more with the blessing of Janis Joplin's family and a lot more um, interviews and documents and things like that from her friends in high school, her friends in college and university, in her early years in Austin, um, in San Francisco, lots of like exes and people who knew her personally so this this new biography um janice that i've just read definitely has a, a especially it fills out her early life um a lot more you get a, a much stronger sense of who janice is as she develops um especially from her childhood to just more of like who she is as a kid growing up we went to Port Arthur where Jan Janice. Uh, yeah, we we've been. Briefly. Yeah, we've been to uh, Port Arthur. We drove Arthur. over the big bridge. We drove over the big bridge. Driving in the sky. Um, in the actually in the book, they uh, Janice herself has climbed up on that bridge. What? Yeah, her and her high school friends. Uh, those were some of the shenanigans uh, that they got up to. This oh, bridge is very very tall. I don't like driving over bridges. Very scary. So we, yeah. It's one of the scariest bridges that I've driven It goes kind of like straight up and then straight down. If you have like a bridge, driving over a bridge phobia, <laughs> this one Not is... Not a bridge for you. Avoid no. this bridge. Avoid this bridge. Yeah, we, we uh, many years ago now, what, eight years ago? But if you like driving over oh. really high bridges... Well then, yeah, then this is a bridge for you. Certainly. <laughs> you should go drive over this bridge. Um, but yeah... Eight, I don't know how many years ago now, we drove uh, to Texas, um, to South Padre Island, and then we drove to New Orleans, um, and uh, knew, we'd, we'd, knew we'd, we would be driving through Port Arthur. We did not make it to the Janis Joplin Museum while it was open. We tried to get there. We tried. We, we really boogied, um, but we got there just as it was closing, and um, the very kind security guard did let me in and let me buy a t-shirt, a Janis Joplin t-shirt for my mother. Um, and I, I kind of saw did like the car. Did yeah. you see Janice's car? I think her I did. Porsche? I think I did in like the background. Her psychedelic Porsche? Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. Let's say you did. Let's Nobody will know. Yeah. Um, but uh, we drove around Port Arthur and it, it certainly has this feeling of a, a once uh, middle class center that has been hit by a few hurricanes and nobody's been around to care too much. Um, I think it's the, yeah. the suburbs are still okay in Port Arthur, but the center of the city has been abandoned. You know how people say that um, cities are hollowed out? Yeah. <laughs> so it has, it's literally... Those were the vibes. It's literally hollowed out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it certainly did not um, feel like a place you would want to stay if you were it's Janice It's like a bomb Joplin. went off. Yeah, I think when, when Janice lived there when she was a kid, it was, um, you know, fairly prosperous. Her father worked um, as an engineer for one of the oil companies, and her mother was an accountant. Um, so for them, they were upwardly mobile, and, and they her parents had moved there um, 
during the depression or shortly after. Um, and they're had, from Oklahoma. Yeah. Did you and, say that already? No, I didn't. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So this book was really great. I do highly recommend it. It was very readable. And I, I think what I liked most about it was really getting a sense of who Janice was growing up. Just, um, she was so oppositional as a kid um, and so much of her emotional fragility and vulnerability um, and her strength was tied into that oppositionality um, that she had from an early age and struggled with. Um, and it was, you know, it, it, of course it's tragic. She, she died so young, but one of the things the book sort of highlighted for me was that um, towards the end of her life she seemed to be getting more of a sense of herself um, and and growing into herself a little bit more and and um, you know she'd had more periods of stability and happiness uh, happiness and 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 do you think she was happy well, at the end? Well, I think there was, um, especially with her, her last band, the Full Tilt Boogie Band. She seemed she, satisfied with that. Yeah, she, she, um, this that was a was band. That was a good band. It was a good band, um, and it came together and it was her band. organically, too, right? They found players that worked, um, tried them out. She had sort of a, a setup, a studio setup in her garage and a house that she'd bought, um, and of course she, um, wasn't straight a lot of the time but she wasn't using hard drugs as much she was often sort of just drinking um and she was really focused on um getting better at music right training her voice she was working with a producer she really liked um and she she was really focused on knowing about the the process the recording process making music process um, and you see that in, in, if you go and watch, um, performances from like Festival Express from the last year of her life, you see that confidence, um, and how like tuned in she is to the band. Um, and that she really is, she's part of the band. She was the, yeah, she's part of the band and, and the band leader, like, yeah, was... Yeah, she's grown into that band. leadership role yeah. too. She's she's like this is this is what I want. These are the she's sounds I'm hearing in my head. Powerful, and she could really communicate it. Yeah, absolutely. Just like viscerally. Yeah, and I think she saying, like she was like taking she taking more care of her voice at that time too. Yeah, well, she was. Um, I think her her producer at the time too. Uh, was getting her more into um, actually training her voice um, and taking what she had, which was power, and um, working in more expression and modulation and things like that um, to really like expand her her repertoire to really push herself out in different ways beyond just like the raw power um, that she'd always had from when she was young. Mm-hmm. Probably the the most tragic part is um, they talk about how um, you know she'd had this great love in South America. Um, at one point, she'd decided to right. take a break from it all. She'd gone down to Brazil, 
Um, and she met this guy, she wasn't drinking, she wasn't using drugs. Um, and she met this guy and he didn't even know who she was. She was just on the beach. He didn't know she was Janis Joplin. He just saw her and liked her. Um, and they really hit it off. They adventured for a while in South America. Um, but eventually when they came back to the U.S., she started using and drinking again. Um, and he was really more of an adventurer, um, but, uh, you know, cared really, really deeply for her, just a really genuine connection um, for her. And uh, the day after she died, a letter arrived to her uh. hotel um, from him saying, like, why don't you join me in, in Nepal, where I am right now? Like, why don't you come out here? I'm ready for you. So that was like, I was <laughs> like so sad. Actively crying while reading a book, um, but yeah, just sort of exploring. Um, yeah, it really felt like it got more into the different sort of facets of her of her personality and the things that um, that she was bringing to her music. So yeah, just really really good. But why do you think she was like oppositional growing up? Why do you think she didn't fit in with? Uh, in in Port Arthur, like, why wasn't she just, like, that regular middle-class kid that, like, all the other ones that, well, that's that very, she grew up with? Yeah, it's, you know, it's very interesting reading about that, um, being a teacher, too, uh, because a lot of times kids who are oppositional get labeled as, you know, troublemakers, right? Just, oh, they just, they just don't want to get along. They're just troublemakers. Um, and... In the biography, um, you know, she was oppositional, but the, some of the things she was oppositional to were um, she was oppositional to segregation. She was one of the few people who in her in her community or in her high school who said, no, we should be integrating the high schools. Um, one of the few people who crossed color lines and went to um, bars or clubs uh, that where black people were performing or, or, um, socializing. Like, was she into the, the blues, like Bessie Smith and, and, uh, people like that when she was a kid in Port Arthur? Yeah, as a teenager. She's very similar, I guess, to like the, the Bob Dylan sort of thing where, um, he's, he's digging up all these, well, Bob Dylan is stealing them. Um, all these archaic folk. All great artists steal. <laughs> All these uh, 78s. Where do you think it comes from? Yeah, um, but in the same way, uh, um, her friends uh, from high school that are interviewed for this book... Oh, you mean literally stealing the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the objects? Uh, but I, the uh, well, yeah. Janice also had, a, Janice had a, a reputation for being light-fingered herself, so I'm sure there was some, some stealing involved there. But however she did it, um, she, as a teenager... Um, got a hold of, you know, 78s of, of people like, um, of blues and, and jazz, uh, Bessie Smith and all these, these older folks that were pretty, pretty obscure. Um, but she had a pretty deep knowledge, like her friends in Austin, um, that she plays with when she goes away to college, um, they remarked that, you know, she really knew her stuff about, about these blues, about the Delta blues. She really knew a lot of these songs. Um, she had a pretty like intellectual, like she would read books, whatever she could get a hold of. She had this collection. Um, you know, she really did love the blues. 
I knew a lot about them. Um, yeah. But she also liked jazz and stuff like Gershwin and whatnot, right? Like, wasn't Gershwin, uh, like, Summertime one of yeah. her staples? Yeah, her dad was a big music lover as well. Um, her dad was more into, like, classical music um, and, and big band and stuff like that. So there's also that side. Her and her dad would talk about music and listen to music. Um, and there was a, you know, a collection in the house. She had to, I think she had to hide some of the music that she listened to, um, from her parents, but yeah. She, she really like adopted like the, uh, like the folk aesthetic of the, at the time, right? Like wearing like work clothes and. Yeah. Well, very much more though. That's another way where she, you know, um, she, was in opposition, um, you know, she, she was vocal about, um, like, thinking that women could do things outside of being homemakers and, uh, these traditional sort of roles, um, and of course she was, uh, you know, bisexual, she, she dated women and men whoever interested her, um, and from all accounts was quite open about that, um, her entire life. Uh, and so... But I don't think she really, like, labeled her sexuality. No, like she, not really. It was like she didn't even think about it. No. And so what she sort of labeled as in high school is, like, a beatnik. That's right. The, that's or sort a bohemian. Of the, yeah, she's, she's a beatnik. She's, um, you know, wearing black clothes, or she's wearing, you know, men's work shirts and jeans, and, um hair's all wild and, and stuff like that. So she, you, but you know, she, she bounces around. So she's, you know, she's, she's very conflicted her whole life too, or, um, a lot of her life between wanting, wanting a stable, um, more traditional sort of tied down life and wanting to do all of these wild and crazy and adventurous things. Plus you got to think that like, um, well, she was bullied a lot, wasn't yeah. she? That's probably what where the, like, seeing herself as an outsider and yeah. being, op- quote, unquote, op- oppositional it comes from, she had, like, she was overweight at times, she, or whatever, like, she wasn't the natural, the, uh, the ideal standard of beauty, uh, she wasn't a Southern Belle, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, and she had bad acne yeah. that like required like surgery, yeah. and she was like she was ostracized, like so she was just treated horribly. Yeah, really, really horribly. Just really, really abused by her, by her peers. Yeah, yeah. So she, you know, um, she certainly has a, a comes across as having an inborn, um, oppositional personality um but that does seem to even out as she goes through her 20s especially as she goes through periods of like heavy serious like meth addiction and drug addiction um and periods of cleaning up a bit and and um you know she she takes a few stabs before her music career takes off like she she tries a few times and when she finally does make it, that's kind of like her third try um, in the music industry. I think the, what's like really like endearing 
or shows like who Janice is like when she's writing letters back to her parents from Austin or San Francisco or whatever. She's always like, she, she seems really excited because she's has friends. Yeah. Like these are my friends. Yeah. She's sending photographs back to her parents. It's like, these are people that are like me too. Like I like, I'm so happy to have friends. Yeah. And she yeah. was just really driven by that. She's really looking and she, for she her like tribe. She really cared about. Yeah, literally to have like a to have a tribe. She's also like the little sister of the San Francisco Hell's Angels. So <laughs> like they will like yeah, they're ride or die for her. Um they they kind of just show up. Um I think there's an instance in the book where she's dating somebody new and they they one of them shows up and they're like, "Hey, like don't mess with her." <laughs> Or else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just uh, great book. Um, great to go. I always love to go down a Janice rabbit hole every few years. Just got to do that. Um, but what have you, what have you finished reading? What is your great work that you've recently <laughs> accomplished? I like reading really long books <laughs> so that I don't have to choose new things to read very often. <laughs> I like reading books that take me two years to finish. That's, like, pretty steady reading. <laughs> I take some breaks, but consistently, you know, a couple pages here or there. Um, so, yeah, Mar- The Mars Trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. I just finished that. It's three really big books. I wanted to read some real, like, hard sci-fi for some reason, I've never been a really hard sci-fi fan. I can't say that I am one now, after reading <laughs> those. I was talking about, like, Janice being oppositional. I didn't want I didn't want those books to defeat me, and they didn't. <laughs> I won. <laughs> you win. I won. <laughs> High five. <laughs> if you like Mars and science fiction, you've probably read these already, so I won't recommend them to you. If you don't like Mars or science fiction, uh, you're not going to like the, like these things by reading these books. If you want to make a book so that uh, is just, if you want to read a book that's just uh, page after page of describing dusty, dirty, red, barren landscapes on another planet, this is the book for you. <laughs> if you want really in-depth, hypothetical, sci- scientific pseudo explanations for things that for problems that haven't uh, existed yet uh this is also the book for you <laughs> basically like if you if you really want to be if you're doing some sort of religious practice and just want to try to see w- how bored you can be <laughs> without going insane this is the book for you <laughs> If you yeah. want to push your limits, like, this is, these these are the books for you. Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars, Kim Stanley Robinson. <laughs> uh, the characters in it, there's, they're, they have no personality, they don't do anything, nothing happens. It's great. <laughs> this has been a recommendation. <laughs> I've read Kim Stanley Robinson, but I've read um, The Years of Rice and Salt, which is uh, alternative history rather than sci-fi. Honestly, I was 
I did enjoy parts of it, and like I wouldn't yeah. have read it just to be oppositional. I'm not that much of a psychopath. <laughs> like, a little bit, I guess, but like, it was just enough, just enough. Just enough interest. Just enough going. interest. I mean, like, Mars is cool, and I think it's, uh, you know, if you want an alternative view of like, space explorational and like the possibilities for you hu for human development and progress and flourishing that uh doesn't involve uh like elon musk and uh, <laughs> sh him shooting himself into he could sh he could shoot himself into the planet of mars yeah and go there and rot and nobody will care if you don't want that sort, if you don't want Elon Musk's version of uh, <laughs> of humanity, yeah. you want something like a little bit kinder, where people work out their problems and things are get done like collectively um, and democratically. The Mars trilogy has like really great, actually, um, like examples of people building democratic institutions and organizations from the ground up. Yeah. That exist to distribute um, resources and and wealth in a fair and equitable way. Like it's just a great, really great for imagining, for sparking imagination of like, hey, do you think things could be better? <laughs> well, yeah, of course you do. <laughs> Everybody thinks things could be better. Yeah. Well, let's let's imagine some better things. We can do it on Mars. Yeah, I guess that's kind of... The Years of Rice and Salt is also like that, just imagining a... Actually, I don't even know that the past that he imagines is better or different. Other than um, that a autonomous government of indigenous in North and South America emerges. So that's probably mm. an aspect of his alternative history that is better, but... Yeah. There still seems to be big wars and whatnot. I think the thing about that's kind of cool about the Mars trilogy is like over over generations, obviously, there are no Martians living on Mars when humans get there. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, no aliens. So when the humans get there, after a couple generations, like they become indigenous. Yeah. Like they're Appearance changes due to, I mean, factors like lower gravity on Mars and different nutrition, and racial mixing, and new, uh, like, dialects emerge, new cultures emerge. Like, all these things, they actually don't take that long. And if you, to develop, and you think about, like, the colonization of North, of Canada or North America, um, like, my family's only been here for, like, 150 150 years? Well, Canada's only 150 years old. That's not that long. Yeah. That's, a, like, a blink of an eye, and yet we think we have a fully developed, like, uh, culture and national identity, etc., etc. It's all made up, folks. <laughs> you can make it all up. Yeah. Uh, but then, after a while, yeah, this indigenous culture in Mars <coughs> develops, and then Earth wants to come, and then, like, recolonize it. Mm. Recolonize, colonize the Martian colonizers who are now in indigenous, hmm. and so like debates and fights and wars over like indigenous sovereignty occur like hmm. in that in that context, and it's really like you can see how 
um, if you're like uncomfortable thinking about like the process of or the if the process of colonization in North America is like a little bit cloudy for you, you could see it in a sci-fi setting. Yeah, you can, and then you can translate it back to our real life, and then it's much easier to see. Like, oh yeah, this is a uh, oh man, this is totally how uh, how colonization works. Yeah, neat. Yeah, I liked it. Well, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about things that we are doing. So you have been making crates, making making crates, making, I'm, uh, trying to do useful things over the winter during the pandemic, (coughs) excuse me, and mostly like, uh, making things. Yeah. So I want to make things. This is part of like, recording this podcast is like part of that, uh, philosophy what i'm trying to do uh during the pandemic because i've been laid off from my usual job and i need to be useful i need to make myself useful to the people around me so that they remain happy with me and they remain (laughs) (laughs) i (laughs) uh so that they can pay uh keep me around Mm -hmm. a little bit longer anyway um yeah so i've been making some uh some wooden, some things out of wood, mm-hmm. some wooden crates, various yeah. sizes that I hope will be, uh, that, uh, some farmers, farmer friends of mine could use to put vegetables in and display at their farmer's market stand. Yeah. They're looking good. Yeah. I haven't got the handles right yet, but I'm going to practice and I'm going to try staining them with coffee. Yeah. Cause it's food safe and it will make the wood look better. Yeah. And it's very, uh, um, it's very fun having the um i mean our house is very very small but just like hearing the saw or whatever and smelling the sawdust um it's nice having that going on and it was nice coming upstairs and you're like making clothes yeah that was like yesterday was was that yesterday or friday oh that was friday yeah i don't know like i I don't know if it's like i had a sick day because uh I had to get yield COVID test due to allergies flaring up. Um, so John's making crates. I'm making pants. Um, I'm I'm kind of pivoting back to making clothes, which is what I was doing last spring and early summer during the full lockdown portion of this pandemic. You've made clothes before. Yeah. You've made clothes that you wear. Yeah. So I'm. You I'm make, make clothes that look good in public. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm making a second pair of pants I've already made, just refining my technique. Um, and, uh, I've got some other, some other pieces on deck that, uh, I've been really, like, building a horde of fabric over the course of the pandemic, so I need to start actually sewing my way. Fabric horde. Yeah, I'm like a dragon. You're like smog from... I know. I've from got the a, Hobbit, I've except got a with the fabric horde <laughs> and balls of yarn. Balls of yarn. I've got the wool horde. I've got uh, the seed horde. Um, We're all about hordes here, books folks. Books and vinyls. Yeah, it's a small house, but it's very full of things. Um, also, been planting seeds. So I've been um, uh, gardening. Is something I started doing when we started dating, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, I before that. Was I gardening before you? Not really. Um, we took it up at kind of the same time. Yeah. So when we started dating, like almost ten years ago now, um, I before I before that I hadn't really 
cared about plants. I didn't have house plants. Oh yeah, we did our. Couldn't keep them alive. And then before I even moved into, I could. I had house plants. You had house plants. Yes, you had. Um, you did have the strawberry plants in the back. That was one of the reasons that you moved in with me. You saw that <laughs> you had land. <laughs> well, yeah, I had land. You had a cat I, I was... and a house and some land. Um, and before I even moved in, and uh, plants, I could keep a plant alive. Yes, uh, and so I I proposed to you that we. <laughs> <laughs> you not you haven't proposed to me yet. Oh, I proposed that we have a garden in the back. Oh, that. And yeah, you so did do that. you indulged me and helped me turn over the soil. Um and then eventually I did move in um in a few months after that, but uh so I started gardening in the back, you started gardening at work. Um but um I I this year I started all of our seeds at um at where I work, which is in a school. I'm a teacher in middle years. Um, and so I've got one of my big cork boards in my classroom. I've got all the seeds sort of pinned up and arranged on it, um, which I often find other staff members or students just kind of staring at it, which is kind of nice. Um, it's very hypnotic and comforting. People will just come by just to look at the seeds. Um, like the whale poster? Yeah, well, like the whale poster. <laughs> I've got a poster with all the whales. Um, if you just have a collection of things, kids will just stare at it, and they really like doing that. Um, I like doing it, that. I like doing that. Yeah, no. I, I like can... a good poster of items listed on it with yeah, the names of absolutely. that. Absolutely. Categories, Categories of things. Wonderful. I like a periodic table. Yes, yeah. I, if I... Yeah, I'm teaching science this year, but if I... If I that's the one thing I really need to level up is have a periodic table. But to get back to seeds, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've started seeds. Uh, the kids, I've gotten the kids to plant them. Some of them have done seeds before, but some of them have never planted a seed, which has been really fun. Hmm. Um, is teaching that them. must be really fun. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, we have sort Do of. Do they one... get all like stoked, all, all excited? Yeah, they, they when were... their seed comes up. Yeah, and uh, we oh, we started some... So we've got lots of herbs and peppers already rocking and going along. Um, and last week we started... We They planted... They were really excited to plant the squashes and pumpkins. So probably planted more of those than we really needed to. But they were... They, were, they really liked them. Um, big seeds. Big payoff. They're very exciting for kids. Big plants. Um, big plants. Um, and then we also planted like some tomatoes. You gotta and... get if you want a big plant, you gotta have a big seed. <laughs> no, uh, that's not even true. Not even true. You can get a big plant from a tiny seed. You can, yeah, it's true. But Jesus said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would know. I would know. Um, you would know. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, and I also. Um, yeah, so kids starting seeds, wonderful. Um, I'm obsessed with this British gardening show called Gardeners. World. Oh yeah, um, I started I watching, hear you watching it. it from yeah. the bedroom every weekend. <laughs> every weekend. Um, actually, started in in lockdown last year um, because I'd watched. Lots of people started watching that. Yes, uh, it's very comforting. It's a weekly gardening show, and so. The main part of it is uh, the host, Monty Don, who had seen in other gardening shows, which is why I knew about the show. Um, he putters around his garden um, at his farm called Longmeadow, 
and it has the the gardens have different sections. You don't see all of them. He has sort of some specific ones that he does things in in his potting shed, and he has dogs that follow him around. Potting shed. <laughs> it's it's a very nice potting shed. Uh, very jealous. Um, I wish I had a potting shed. Absolutely. Um, but uh, so every every week is a live segment um, with him doing whatever needs to be done in the garden at that time. So uh, pruning, planting, transplanting, uh, building new gardens. Um, you know, he's wonderful because he's, he's uh, so enthusiastic, just a very warm, lovely man. Um, he really, uh, really focuses on the way that trying things out and making mistakes help you learn. Um, you know, he'll show you his, his failures, like, oh, I planted these tomatoes and they didn't work <laughs> out. And actually in the, the episode that I watched today, he had a bunch of grasses that, um, he tried for a few years, but had just died out. So he was taking them out. Wait, you plant, you planted grasses? Yeah. On purpose? Well, like these big, steepa, fluffy, like, textual. Ornamental. Yeah, ornamental glass, grasses. Um, but yeah, so the show is that. Um, he gives you jobs that you can do on the weekends. So you follow him through the season, basically, from the start to the finish. Um, and uh, then there'll be segments of where other hosts will um, visit other gardens, historical gardens, visit nurseries, things like that. There's always, like, some British person who uh, grows every dahlia in existence, um, and they're, like, a retired electrician or something like that. It's that's every British person. Very delightful. Uh, and um, and then, yeah, it's just... Um, that's been my weekend ritual. Um, through the first lockdown and now starting again into <laughs> what may eventually be the other... The next lockdown, depending on how things go. Um, but, uh, yeah. I wish we could have a lockdown. Ugh, it's, yeah, <laughs> but it's it's... I don't know. I highly recommend it. I, I've learned a lot, actually, about plants and gardening. I, I can't pretend I'm an expert or anything like that, but I've certainly, um, the... certainly well, gotten better at... Um, you know a lot. Well, uh, but um, watching Monty Don, I've certainly learned a lot about like seeding and transplanting and, and caring for plants through the season. Um, and just... Um, and compost. <laughs> yeah, um, the importance of, of nutrition or the importance of not having nutrition. Um, yeah, so, and then you've been doing, uh, you've had one other winter project that you've kind of been doing through wait through the winter. But Monty Don, wasn't Monty Don supposed to be on tomorrow? No, wait, it was supposed to be on yesterday. Yeah, th this, <laughs> we weekend, watch it. this weekend was a delayed Gardener's World uh, due to Prince Philip dying on Friday, and uh... Then they preempted... Yes, I guess uh, Gardener's World airs in the UK um, on Fridays. It's available on the streaming site that I have it on on Saturday mornings, usually. Um, but yesterday I was like, where's my where's my Gardener's World? What's happening? And then... Um, Some important person. I eventually figured out that, yes, uh, I guess because Prince Philip died. Um, apparently the BBC got a whole bunch of complaints 
um, from people that all of their favorite Friday programs had been uh, postponed. It's like, where's my gardening show? Yeah. Who's, uh, <laughs> who's Prince Philip? People were upset. Well, I think they thought it was just like uh, overdone. They're like, okay, have one thing about it and then move on and show me my gardening show. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I guess. Priorities. They, folks, I guess so. Priorities. Yeah. They're, they're, they fielded some complaints, uh, but he, they showed it on Saturday. So this morning I was able to catch up with, with Monty. Um, and, and the dogs. Um, and actually the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the one thing I'll say, the masses were pacified. Yes. Um, the one thing I'll say that actually they started doing, um, that was really interesting watching in Gardner's world is because lockdown happened in real time on the show. Oh yeah. So right. the first two episodes in whatever were just sort of like regular shows. And then by the third episode, Things in the UK were locking down hard, and, and of course it got really bad over there in the first wave. Um, and so they had to set up this elaborate system of um, automatic cameras, like remote cameras around Monty, like Monty's garden was wired up, basically. Um, and in sort of, there's like one transitional episode where um, he's actually holding the camera, Neat. And, or like he set it up on a tripod and um, he's doing something on a potting shed table. He's got like his phone on a tripod or something and uh, he realizes he forgot something in the shed and he's like, I guess this is what happens when you like don't have a cameraman and he has to like go <laughs> go back into the shed. So you see him go back into the shed and come back do, do, out. Do, do, do. Yeah. And, um, and so they actually, through the lockdown, they started um, accepting videos from people of uh -huh. their gardens in lockdown. Neat. Um, so that was really, like, there was one video where, like, a little girl grew these tomatoes and sunflowers and put them out on, like, her front fence for free for people. Cool. Um, just, like, I'm just crying at this gardening show at the time. But, yeah, so they, they kept doing that. Very lovely. Very life-affirming. Highly recommend if you can uh, get a hold of Gardener's World to, to watch. Um, where do you watch it? Um, I watch it on a streaming site. <laughs> on, on daily you don't Mush. have to say yeah I, I i watched it on a streaming site um i think if you wanted to watch the new episodes i think you'd have to subscribe to like the british channel on amazon to mm -hmm. see um there are old the old seasons of of gardener's world on amazon right now but um don't worry you can find it it's online <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's all as I, for free if you know where to look. <laughs> as I was saying before, um, we circled back to Gardener's World. You've been you've been busy on um, another project in the another basement, some basement yeah tapes if making you will. some tapes. Remember tapes, folks. <laughs> Remember cassette tapes. Those horrible things that we all had to all had to listen to music on if you're of a certain age. <laughs> well, I don't know. They're coming, people are bringing them back. <laughs> I think they've been back for a few years now. I think the children have discovered that they exist. Yeah. And now, and all the old people like me, who get to be all, like, nostalgic <laughs> and retro about such things, get to be like, <laughs> I'm a good, yeah, dust off your tape deck and uh, start uh, making, yeah. uh, making, making tapes again. But, like, new tapes... 
Yeah. New tapes, folks. Yeah. I'm making new tapes. Oh, I also make music. Yeah. Uh, I've well, done that for a while. you have something that you put on the tapes. You have to have music to put on the tapes. Mm-hmm. It's all connected. If you want to make a tape, you gotta make... You gotta have the music. You can't use other people's music. They don't like that. Unless you pay for... Pay them for it. So you make your own. Yeah. And then you put it on the tapes. That's been a fun project for you. I've enjoyed it. And I'm also putting... Uh, I have other friends who make who also make music. And sometimes I make music for them. And uh, they're giving me their music to put on to tapes as well. Um... Yeah. It's fun. It's been a it's been a good little being creative process oriented project for you. I definitely. like process oriented yeah. things. I like doing first you do this and then you do that mm-hmm. and then and then oh my look where the time has gone. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then sometimes there's a th- sometimes there's a a thing that exists afterwards if you do enough of the right things in order. Yeah. And sometimes it uh Sometimes it's a cassette tape that you can put in your stereo and listen to music on. Sometimes it's a wooden crate. Uh, sometimes it's pants. Sometimes it's pants. Sometimes it's a plant. Sometimes it's the sweater that I've been making you that I stopped making that I will make again. Sometimes it's a half-finished sweater. You don't have to finish it. <laughs> I will someday. The, it's the journey. It's the journey, counts. yeah. Um... Yeah, lots of process. making. Lots of, uh, I'm sure, similar to many people in lockdown. I bet lots of people are making lots of stuff. Lots of things have been made. Yep. Absolutely. Um, listening. I am... Um, from the, making to listening? From making to listening. From well, act, we're, I mean, from we're active talking to passive. About, we're talking about tapes, so it kind of makes sense. Oh, right. Sorry, you're doing a segue. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um... Doing some listening, I, uh, I I got into Spotify after the demise of Google Music, um, once they finally dealt the death blow to that uh, beloved app, um, a, a friend... Uh, just, a, just a crime, just horrible. Yeah. I am not pleased. <laughs> You're not going to get over that anytime No, soon. I'm not letting this go. But I, I feel like I'm, I've I moved on a little bit more, um, only because uh, a friend let me onto their Spotify family, um, and um, I'm really enjoying just the, actually, the the recommendations and the way that Spotify is set up. Um, and so one of the things I've been coming across is um, a lot more music from Africa, from the Middle East, um, from, yeah, just sort of uh, the things that I've finally trained Spotify. It takes you a while to train Spotify, but once you do, it, it starts to dig up things you'll actually enjoy. So, um, yeah, I've been listening to, I listened to it this morning, but an album um, by a Lebanese uh, singer-songwriter. These were songs that were recorded in the 1970s, I think in 1970 itself, um, and just sort of things that were uh, traded on tapes between people for years. Um, his name is Roger Fakir. Uh, from Lebanon, but um, I think these tapes were made in Paris, um, where he was briefly. Um, and uh, some have that real 70s singer. You could just imagine this being made in California. Um, sound, and then sometimes you get a bit of oud, 
or uh, that Middle Eastern sort of food. food. Um, Middle Eastern or like North African um, sort of What's sound. Um, like the, Is the like bowl, a the bowl shaped. Is an oud like a lute? It's like um, Gage has an oud. Gage, you have an you have an oud. <laughs> In your apartment, did you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a yeah stringed um, Middle Eastern North African instrument, um, and sometimes he'll he'll sing in Arabic, um, but just um, I guess there's a uh, record label in Germany that is uh, digging up um, music from the Arab world and and re-releasing it. Uh, so that was. Yeah, um, I think the album is called Fine Anyways, Roger Fakir. Uh, it's on Spotify. I think it's in other places, too. Well, I had to come back wet for you to believe Some rain was falling on the garden And I had to get me burnt before I could leave In case I'm wrong, I beg your pardon All the days and the years keeping on to You've got a few things that you've been... I listened to some music last night. Yes. Uh, at, uh, around the fire pit in the backyard. Yeah. I uh, enjoyed three songs in particular quite a bit. Um, you may or may not also enjoy them. <laughs> if you don't enjoy them, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. If you do enjoy it... What were the three that I said? Uh, so you... Hold on. No, no. I can read it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know how to read. I'm. I don't know how to remember. Um. Oh yeah. Okay, folks. If you want to have, if you want to have some fun, <laughs> listen to uh, Genesis. Turn it on again. I know this is. I don't endorse this, but Jill doesn't endorse this. She doesn't endorse anything Genesis related. Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins, all the same to her. Yeah. Oh. Uh. But you don't, she doesn't know what she's missing out on. But that's fine. <laughs> she likes way cooler stuff than I do. Mm, I don't know about that, but. Oh, yes, you do. You do. Believe me, you do. other one the richard and linda thompson one yes what was the name of that one? Oh yeah when i get to the border richard and linda thompson from their uh i want to see the bright lights at night oh yeah album that's a good album spectacular album first song when i get to the border spectacular first song he won't find me Uh, 
I'm not a Richard and Linda Thompson fan with, about anything else. Ooh, except for a record called The Bunch. Oh, yeah. Which is an awesome album. It's really hard to find streaming. You might not be able to find it. It might be on YouTube. But there's an absolutely stellar version of The Locomotion on that one. Oh, yeah. That's all, like, British folk rock um all-star band. Yeah, it was just like, a weird record I picked up at just on spec at uh, one of the local record shops just being like, this is weird. Yeah. It was like eight bucks. <laughs> like Richard and Linda Thompson and Sandy Denny, Sandy Denny and other, like, other guys Pentagle, I can't... Other Pentangle and, and Fairport people Yeah, abounded. And they're just rocking out to oldies yeah. covers, basically. They do Seems like a Buddy Holly, time. Chuck Berry, that... Mm -hmm. that it's just a weird a nice little like it's very delightful yeah and very 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 pleasant yeah i think that's it well that's all for today folks thank you for joining us on the inaugural uh life is sweet podcast if you are listening if anyone out there is listening thanks for sticking around and joining us in this chat We'll hopefully be with you again with some more reads and watches and listens and doings, maybe some travels next time. We'll find more things to talk about. We always do. <laughs> Lockdown is not yet over. Lockdown has not yet begun. The pandemic <laughs> will be here forever, and so will we. So we'll keep doing these <laughs> for a while until we find something else to do. Absolutely. Until we move on to something else. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Have a good one, everyone. See you later, folks. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Come on, baby. Do the I know you'll get to like it if you give it